This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, welcoming you to Editor's Choice for the top news and views of April 2011. In the news this month, Dr. Farzad Mastashari was appointed to succeed Dr. David Blumenthal as head of the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology. The office is the unit of the Department of Health and Human Services that oversees the High Tech Act's Electronic Health Record Incentive Program. In an interview, Dr. Mastashari shared his insights on his privacy and security priorities. Here's a clip from that interview. We need to uh, ensure and maintain the public's trust in uh, health information uh, systems and in uh, the exchange of their health information. The information needs to go wherever uh, they go to be able to follow them, but they also need to have the confidence that the information is, is secure uh, and whether it, where it's kept, whether it's uh, where it's moving, um, and also that their privacy rights are protected. The first step in this and everything we do is uh, to make sure that uh, we have an open and transparent and participatory and inclusive process for considering all the issues uh, of all the dimensions of the issue. And we do that through, uh, importantly, our federal advisory committees, in particular the Health IT Policy Committee and Standards Committees. Uh, we have had uh, an average of one uh, public meeting every other day, and many of the issues that they touch on uh, really do relate to trust and and privacy and security. I'll be back after a short break with the rest of our Editor's Choice for April. Are you responsible for your institution's regulatory compliance program? Do electronic medical records, patient privacy, or data breaches keep you up at night? Do you have any certifications which require continuing professional education credit hours? The solution to your problems may be the healthcareinfosecurity.com educational webinar library. You'll find plenty of courses that align with your core responsibilities. Visit healthcareinfosecurity.com for more information on how to access these webinars. Welcome back. Also in the news this month, as of April 25th, the federal list of major healthcare information breaches that have occurred since September 2009 included 265 cases, affecting a total of more than 10.8 million individuals. In the past month, 16 incidents that occurred in 2010 or 2011 were added to the tally, which the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights regularly updates. These include the largest breach on the list so far, the HealthNet incident, which affected 1.9 million. At least four state agencies are investigating the HealthNet incident in January, which involved hard drives missing from a data center managed by IBM. The second largest incident on the OCR list which occurred last December at New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, involved the theft of backup tapes stolen from a truck transporting them for secure storage. The HealthNet and New York cases have placed a spotlight on the need to take adequate precautions to keep data centers physically secure and to protect backup tapes with encryption. In this month's featured blog, I point out that physicians who use social media to discuss their work, even without naming patients, Risk privacy violations, as a recent case in Rhode Island clearly illustrates. The case is an eye-opener for all clinicians about social networking risks. 
The Rhode Island Board of Medical Licensure and Discipline reprimanded a physician and ordered her to pay a $500 administrative fee and attend a continuing education course after she used Facebook in a manner that inadvertently violated confidentiality, according to a consent order. The order states that she was guilty of unprofessional conduct by revealing personally identifiable information to third parties, even though she never named patients she discussed on Facebook. Westerly Hospital, where the physician practiced emergency medicine, terminated her clinical privileges. Although the physician never used patient names, the nature of one person's injury was such that the patient was identified by unauthorized third parties, according to the order. So what's the moral of the story? If you work at a hospital, clinic, or other healthcare organization, make sure you have a social media policy in place that provides clear-cut guidelines. Then make sure everyone on staff, including physicians, is educated about that policy. Be sure to visit healthcareinfosecurity.com for all the latest news, interviews, blogs, and more. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by healthcareinfosecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.